In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the famous parable uh, of the parable of the sower, and actually the church arranges for us to read the same parable two weeks in a row, um, and actually uh, last night in the Vespers also was the reading of the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower is a very important parable because it speaks about the different ways that we respond to the word of God, to the commandments um, of God. And it describes some of the pitfalls of the spiritual life, that when we hear the word of God, maybe each one of us responds differently. Some people accept it and grow in maturity. Some people accept it at the beginning, but very quickly they have no root. Some people accept it and over time they begin to fall away because of the temptations of the world. Some people, the word of God does not plant in them at all because um, Satan comes and takes it from their heart. So we want to speak a little bit, um, both this week and next week, about what are some of the pitfalls in the spiritual life? What are some ways that maybe we start embarking on this journey of spirituality, of, of drawing closer to God, of denying our flesh, of, of preparing ourselves for the kingdom of God, and that at some point along the road, something happens to cause us to go astray. Going astray doesn't mean that we completely leave the church. Going astray doesn't mean that we reject God and become atheists. Going astray can come in many different forms. And sometimes even while we are present in the church, even while we continue to serve God, maybe there are parts of our heart that are far from God. And there are certain things that are keeping us from growing closer in a more intimate relationship with God. So we want to speak about, we're going to speak about 10 points, five of them this week um, and five of them next week, um, God willing. The first pitfall of the spiritual life as mentioned in the parable today is the seed that landed by the wayside or on the road um, that came and the, the birds came and they devoured it before it had a chance to take any root whatsoever in them. And the Lord described this ground as those by the wayside are the ones who hear then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. These are the people who actually hear the word of God, but it, 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 it doesn't sink in. It doesn't, the significance of it does, it does not materialize in their understanding. They have no depth of understanding of what it means, and it's only a kind of a superficial knowledge. I always remember in the book of Acts when, when, when um, the people uh, are speaking about St. Paul um, while he is in prison, and while he is um, chained, um, and they speak about him and the message that he is preaching in a very superficial way. They say about him, oh, he believes that there was a man named Jesus um, who, who died but is actually alive. You know, a very superficial understanding. What is it really that the Christian doctrine is? Yes, we believe in a man named Jesus, and yes, we believe that he is alive. But when it's phrased that way with that kind of understanding, the whole significance of the Christian faith is diminished. Of course, this is much more, uh, it's, it's not anything of that type of superficial nature. What is it that we believe? These are the people who hear the word, but it doesn't sink in or take, take like enter into the depth of their heart. It is something that is just a novelty, something that's interesting to hear. Maybe like when we read about, in also in the book of Acts, uh, the, the Greek philosophers who were in the city of Athens, who it says about them that they just spent all day wanting to hear something new and to debate and to philosophize about all kinds of things. To them, the idea of Christianity is just another philosophy. It is just some interesting ideas that maybe we can either accept it or we can reject it. But even for those who accept, maybe it is it is not transformative. 
It is, doesn't actually cause them to change their lifestyle, change their behavior, change their decisions. It doesn't make them to sacrifice anything. It is just interesting ideas and concepts that we can debate and discuss, read books about, you know, maybe go watch YouTube videos about. But that is it. It doesn't enter any deeper than just the level of the mind and we might accept it and we might not. But in the end, it doesn't really result in any transformation and any sanctification and any repentance, nothing. It is just an interesting thought, an interesting philosophy. Those, it says here that the devil comes and he takes it away, right? Like, like, like the, the word is there, the seed is there, and it has the opportunity to be planted, but it is through the, the, the distractions of the world, it is through just the empty philosophies of the world that this wor word does not get um, implanted. So this is the first pitfall. Uh, maybe the first pitfall we could say as a person could experience uh, on the road to faith is that the word, they hear it, but it doesn't have any impact on them whatsoever. The second pitfall that is mentioned in the parable today is that the word does not take root. These are the, the seeds that land on the rock that maybe it begins to grow, the plant begins to grow just a little bit, but because it doesn't have deep roots, it quickly withers away. It says, but the ones on the rock are those who when they are here receive the word with joy and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Notice that it says that the word is received in joy, meaning it was accepted, and it was something that brought joy to the heart of this person, that this message that they received is something they saw as good, something that they, they said is, is, is something we, we are enjoying, we are, we are happy that we heard this word, we are happy for the comfort that we receive from the word of God, we are happy that, that when we read the word we feel comforted and we feel like it gives us purpose and direction in our life, and so maybe they, they have this kind of spiritual or emotional experience at the very beginning of, of hearing the word of God and wanting to begin to come to church, wanting to begin to pray, wanting to begin to fast, but it says what? over time, in time of temptation, they fall away. Meaning, it is a superficial kind of faith. It is a faith that maybe we have only when things are going well, and in the moment that temptation comes, because we have not grown in our experience with God, because we have not disciplined ourselves, because we don't focus on a personal spiritual life in any way, at the first sign of struggle or pain or opposition, the person falls away because they have no root. And they forget what it was like at the very beginning. They forget that at the beginning they were joyful. They forget that at the beginning it was something that brought joy to their heart, but because they have no root, they quickly fall away and that initial joy that they had um, falls away. And it's a result of temptation. You know, whenever we are not experiencing temptation and there is not burden and struggle that we are carrying, it is much easier to be faithful. It's very easy to be faithful when we are living in a palace, when where everything is going our way, when everything is, is good according to our will. It is easy to be faithful. But how, how different is it to be faithful in the midst of struggle, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of having to sacrifice? This is the true test of faith. And this is why sometimes the only way that we can know which type of ground that we are is in the midst of that kind of temptation, in the midst of that kind of suffering. How do we discover it is in the fire? That the, that the metal is refined, that we discover what is, it, what is the quality of our faith. 
If my, if, is my faith really one that will endure all the way to the end, regardless of trial and hardship, regardless of temptation, that I will persevere? Or is my faith more like this, where, yes, maybe I'm in this period of time where I am joyful, but I'm joyful because I have not yet been tested. And then when the times of testing come, what is it that I will do? What is it that I will choose? This is why we always need to be watchful and alert and not to be overly confident in ourselves because we know that we are weak and we know that there are certain things that might lead us astray, even those of us who have been faithful and have been in the church for years and decades. We know stories of people who were in the church and yet they chose to leave. And usually the reason that they leave is something that happens to them in their life. Some big disappointment, some big tragedy, something that happened that was unexpected, that made them to lose the joy that they had at the beginning and to doubt God. Why is it God that you would allow me to go through such trial? Maybe the perfect example of someone who endured such a trial is Job. That he had a strong relationship with God from the beginning. He was a righteous man from the beginning. And during the time of testing, he did not fall away. He remained faithful all the way to the end. And we ask God to help us to be like him. That we are not simply fair-weather Christians. We are not simply there with him when he gives us all the things that we want. But that our, our faith takes a deep root. And we understand our life and we understand the will of God. Even when we don't know why God does certain things, we trust in his goodness that he does what is good for us. <coughs> the third pitfall that we'll discuss here that is mentioned in the parable are those um, plants that begin to grow that are choked by the worldly desires. It says, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. So again, they begin to grow, but then there starts to be the worldly desires, the desires of the world that begin to rise up in our hearts, that become so consuming and so powerful that we want to leave God behind. We want to leave him behind to pursue these desires that we have. So here again, the word took root, it was not taken away like in the first where that fell by the road. Um, but then are the desires of our flesh, they begin to overwhelm us. The desire for wealth, the desire for pleasure, the desire for comfort in the world, all of the distractions that are in the world, all the goals that we set in the world. And know also that not all the goals that we have in the world are wrong. For instance, someone who wants to succeed in their career, this is not a wrong goal. But there is a limit of what is it that I can, I'm willing to sacrifice in order to reach the goal, right? That, that, that's something that tells me about whether I have a balanced view of, of all of my goals and priorities in my life or whether it is imbalanced. A balanced goal is I place God as the first and if there are other goals that I have that do not conflict with that goal, then they are okay. They don't conflict with the goal. They are, they are something that God would approve of. They are something that still leaves me the necessary time to pursue the number one goal. And so it is okay to, to pursue those goals. But sometimes our secondary goals, they actually become so, so such a priority for us that they make us not even able to reach the first goal. They prevent us from being able to pray. They prevent us from being able to serve. They prevent us from being able to do good to others. They prevent me from seeing God before my eyes and instead all I see is the desires that I have in my life, the, the focus on my earthly goals and earthly success. And so, I, I again, I turn away from God. 
Turning away from God here again doesn't mean that I become an atheist. It doesn't mean that I leave completely the church. It means that I live my life in a way that does not honor God and place him as the number one in my life. And that is a detriment to my spiritual life and to my relationship with him. People who place these goals, these secondary goals as number one, maybe they are not willing to suffer in any way for Christ. We read about the apostles, about after they were beaten for the name of Christ, it says about them that they were rejoicing. They were rejoicing that they were, were, were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ, considered worthy to carry the cross of Christ. But people who are of this type, that are choked by the worldly desires, the last thing that they are willing to accept is to suffer in the name of Christ, because suffering is contrary to their goal. If the goal is comfort and, and, and happiness in the world, then the last thing that I'm willing to accept is any kind of suffering. And part of this suffering involves the suffering of disciplining my flesh. Because when we discipline our flesh, it is indeed a suffering. It is not simply uh, suffering that comes from some external factor, some outside factor, or, 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 or from another person, or from persecution, or for something like that. There is a suffering that we carry as Christians, a cross that we carry as Christians every day, because we carry with us the corrupted flesh. And the corrupted flesh, it's constantly calling out to us, wanting us to fall into sin, wanting us to, to be led astray from God, wanting us to indulge ourselves in all of the pleasures of this world, and we are married to this flesh. This flesh is not like a person who is far away that I can choose to ignore. I can choose not to pick up the phone if they call me. I can choose to run away from. The corrupted flesh is something that I carry with me, that I go to sleep with, that I wake up with, that I eat with, that, that in every waking moment I am present with this corrupted flesh. And this corrupted flesh is always whispering to me. It's always telling me what it thinks that I should do. And everything it asks me to do is against the will of God. So who of us can stand up against this flesh? It is only those who have been filled with the grace of God and the grace of the Holy Spirit that have any uh, hope at all of being able to stand up against this flesh. And it is a constant struggle and a constant war. This is a sacrifice and this is a cross. And those people who want to be successful in the spiritual life, they take up the armor of God, they take up this battle and, and to the very last breath that I will continue to fight against the corrupted flesh. I will not give in to it. I will not give in to its desires. And so this person who is choked by the worldly desires is a person who maybe started on this journey, started this fight, and yet along the way they grew weary. Along the way they lost their path. They, 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 they lost sight of the goal and they begin to look around and to seek other things and to fall into this. So this person, they are unable to grow. They, they, they have some sense of of, of Christianity and faith, but they are not able to go any further because they are being choked by all these worldly desires. The acceptance of the world in their hearts is preventing them from being able to grow further. And this results in a kind of frustration. A person who no longer feels the joy that they had at the beginning. A person who no longer feels the closeness of God, the presence of God with them, the, 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 the sweetness of, of, of God's love because they are choked. A person who is choked cannot feel anything other than the choking, right? They think themselves that they are successful or they are pursuing something that is good, while at the same time they are being constantly choked by their desires and choked by their sins, unable to, to taste the goodness of God and to go beyond kind of wherever they are. The fourth pitfall that I will mention 
um, in, in the life of the Christian and the spiritual life is what I'm going to call the slow fade. The slow fade is a person who again starts strong but is the gradual compromises over a long period of time that makes us to forget um, the first love, the, the first experience with God, the season of my life where my faith was fervent, the season of my life where I desired God more than anything. And maybe the fall is not a, a fall that happened all at once. Maybe it was not that a, a single event that happened that caused me to turn completely away from God, but it was many, many, many small little compromises that I make over the course of my life that lead me gradually and slowly away from God without me even feeling it or realizing it until it's completely done. And then I look back and say, how, how far have I fallen from where I was? In the book of Revelation, when the Lord Christ is rebuking the different churches, he says to the church of Ephesus, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So he says, what? Well, remember the first works. The first works when we first came to believe. That first joy that we had in Christ. The first sense of being covered by him, of being filled with him, of being filled with the grace of the Holy Spirit, of seeing that we are willing to give up anything for Christ because we love him so much. These are the first works. This is the first love. And here Christ is saying to the Ephesians, remember, remember what it was like for you at the beginning. Turn away from whatever sins that you have committed and go back again. As we were speaking before about the patience of the devil, the devil is very patient and he can lull us into a sense of security and complacency so that we let down our guard. And when we let down our guard, we are thinking maybe there is no way that I can really fall. There's no way that I can kind of fall and go astray to the extent that maybe I have seen in other people because I was raised in the church and I have lived in the church my whole life and I'm a servant in the church and I tithe and I read the Bible and I pray and I do these things. And so I think to myself that I am secure and safe because I have done these things. And maybe I begin over time to compromise. Maybe I pray a little less. Maybe I allow myself to watch things that I shouldn't watch. Maybe I allow myself to have relationships with people who are not the best, thinking all the while that because I am secure, because I have been in the church and I've been a faithful Christian my whole life, that nothing can, can phase me, nothing can touch me, nothing can change me. And sure enough, over time, maybe without even detecting or realizing, I begin to change and I begin to fall away. And because, I, because it's a, such a slow process and because the devil is patient, um, I gradually lose ground and I gradually go astray. So this is one of the pitfalls of the Christian believer, is someone who falls away, but very, very, very slowly as a result of many compromises. The last point that I want to mention today, uh, the fifth way, uh, the fifth pitfall in the life of the believer is mistaking knowledge for faith. When someone begins their journey of faith, maybe they have little knowledge, um, and to them everything is new. They, they come and they learn about the liturgy, they come and learn about the Agbeya, they come and learn about the history of the church, they, they learn about the Bible. All of these things to them are unknowns and they begin to learn and they see in front of them a whole you know, world of knowledge for them to gain that they didn't have before and they are constantly reading and growing. And, and but at some point, Maybe we begin to reach the point where, well, yeah, definitely we don't know everything, but we, do, we know a lot of things now. 
We know a lot of things. And maybe because we have all of that knowledge, our view of the faith begins to change. If our understanding of the faith is just the knowledge that we have, and now we feel like we have attained the knowledge that we didn't have at the beginning, maybe what we, what we consider to be our faith begins to cool. Maybe we never really considered faith as being a relationship with God that we have to continue to cultivate and grow in and grow deeper in, in, in our spirituality. If we considered faith was just knowledge that I didn't have, and now I have it, so I feel more seasoned, I feel more experienced, I'm not as lost as I was before, and because I believe this is the same as having faith, I feel like, well, I don't really have anywhere to grow now. I'm kind of bored. I'm kind of, kind of, you know, feel like there's nowhere else for me to go. I, I learn what there is there to learn. I kind of have heard all of the Bible studies. I've heard all of the sermons. I don't really, I'm not really interested anymore. I've started to feel bored by the faith. It's boring to me because now I've learned all there is um, to learn. But when you read about the Lord Christ said about how is it that we enter the kingdom of heaven, he said, assuredly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. What is he saying is necessary to enter the kingdom of God? He's saying it is not to be the most knowledgeable. And actually the apostles that he selected were apostles who were uneducated. They were fishermen, right? They were not, they were not people who were the, the high class of knowledge or understanding. He says, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of God. But these children are the ones of, with least knowledge, right? If you think, you know, like a person who is knowledgeable, you don't imagine a child. A child has the least knowledge, but they also have the most trust. They have the most faith. They are the quickest to forgive. They are the ones who are willing to trust and to follow the easiest without questioning, without arguing. And so we find what the characteristics that the Lord Christ is actually seeking in us to be in a relationship with him is faith and trust, is, is, is to follow him, is to trust in him, not just to be knowledgeable. Some problems that we face in the Orthodox Church specifically is sometimes people imagine or think that spirituality is the same as knowledge, as faith is the same as knowledge. And so once we have stopped gaining knowledge or we feel like we have attained a lot of knowledge, then again, we feel secure. I, I know all the answers to all the questions. And so I feel like I'm a mature Christian. Well, maybe, I, yes, I have a lot of answers, but that doesn't mean that I have a lot of faith. That doesn't mean that I live according to the words that I know. It just means that I know a lot of words, and that's very different. We should ask ourselves, like, what is it, how is it that I live? How, what is it that I practice? Do I practice the things that I know? Do I practice the things that I read? Am I, am I living out my faith to the fullest? You know, I, I would say that even if we never learned anything else beyond what it is that we already know, we know enough to live a full Christian life. But the problem maybe is that we do not put it into practice. Do we forgive our enemies? You know, children are so quick to forgive. They forget completely. You can yell at them and then five minutes later they're happy again and they're hugging you and they're not like holding a grudge. Maybe we as an adult, if somebody yells at us, we won't talk to them for five years. You know, it's a very different way for us to deal with other people. God says we have to be converted to become like little children. Knowledge is good, but knowledge is only beneficial to us when we put it into practice, not simply to know. Someone who is very knowledgeable might appear from the outside that they are very spiritual, but in reality, if they are not living this faith, then their faith is empty. And this is another pitfall, that as we grow in the faith, 
as we grow and advance in our in our in, in our life in the church that we are maybe are growing in knowledge but we are not growing in faith at the same time we are growing in understanding but we are not growing in virtue and this is something that uh, is dangerous for us something we have to look in ourselves and say am i growing both in knowledge and virtue am i growing in my my relationship with god along with the knowledge um, or not so these are the five reasons that we discussed um, this time uh, of pitfalls in the spiritual life. Number one, the word is not planted in our hearts. Two, the word does not take root. Three, that we are choked by the worldly desires. Four, the slow fade of falling away from God over time. And then finally, we are mistaking knowledge for faith. God willing, next time we will continue with another five pitfalls of uh, the spiritual life um, when we read again the parable of the sower next week. And glory be to God forever. Amen.